Acts chapter number 21. <clears throat> Once you find Acts 21, put one of your fingers there, bookmark that, ribbon that, and then also turn to Matthew chapter 16. So Acts 21 and Matthew 16. We won't jump around much more than that, but go ahead and just have your fingers or bookmarks or ribbons in those places. Acts 21 and Matthew 16. If you remember last week, we looked at when the future feels like it's gone out the window. And we looked at the day that Eutychus fell out of that window and we looked at how he was dead and uh, how he literally died there in the streets and uh, the teachers were panicking, the, the disciples were panicking and Paul went down to him, then he fell on him, then he embraced him and uh, the Holy Spirit of God worked in that young man's heart and brought him back and we know that uh, towards the end of chapter number 20, shortly after that, uh, Paul uh, did some preaching there at Ephesus before he left and he warned of the false teachers to come. He was very clear that in his absence, in the times where he would uh, step away, when he would leave Ephesus, that there would be some that would come after him that would seek to divide and seek to push and seek to push their own uh, views or their own ways and try to draw men under their cause. And he warned of those false teachers and then he also, he encouraged the believers that were there. He uh, made it very clear to them that uh, they we're going to be okay, that God was going to take care of them, that, uh, that anything they committed to the Lord, that the Lord would see it through. And he exhorted and he encouraged those believers. And then right towards the end of uh, chapter number 20, he announced his desire and he, he spoke publicly about his desire to go to Jerusalem. Uh, and to that, that it was being impressed upon his heart by God, to that it was time for him to finish his course and to finish his race and to head towards Jerusalem, where he knew he would be persecuted, where he knew he would be, uh, where he knew he would be arrested and potentially executed, and he knew the dangers that befell him. And he looked at those Ephesian believers there uh, in Ephesus in chapter number twenty, and he said, "This is the last time I believe you're going to see me." This is the last time I believe that you're going to be able to hear my voice audibly. You're going to be able to shake my hand. You're going to give me a hug. And Acts 21 picks up, and we're going to begin our text. If you'll stand with me, uh, just bear with me. We're going to read a couple, uh, quite a few verses, but I, I hope that you don't uh, let your feet distract you, let your knees distract you. If, you. if you're physically unable to stand, I completely understand. Just have a seat and read. That What's important is that your eyes fall and focus on God's Word this morning. Acts 21, we're going to begin reading in verse number 1. The Bible says, And it came to pass that after we were gotten from them at Ephesus, that's where they're leaving, and had launched, we came with a straight course into Coos, and the day following to Rhodes, and from thence to Patera, and finding a ship sailing over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set forth. And we had discovered, and now when we had discovered Cyprus, we left it on the left hand and sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre, for the ship was uh, unto, unlaid her burden. And finding disciples, we tarried there, Seven days, who said to Paul through the Spirit that he should not go to Jerusalem. And when he had accomplished those days, we departed and went our way. And they all brought us on our way with wives and children until we were out of the city. And we kneeled down on the shore and prayed. And when we had taken our leave one of another, we took ship and they returned home again. And we had finished our course from Tyre. We came to Telema and saluted the brethren and abode with them one day. And the next day that we were of Paul's company departed and came into Caesarea and entered into the house of Philip the evangelist, which was one of the seven and abode with him. And the same man had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy. And as we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. And when he was come unto us, he took Paul's girdle and bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost. 
so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle, and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles, who would have been the Romans. And when we heard these things, both we and they of that place besought him, who? Paul, not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What mean ye to weep and to break mine heart? The Bible says, Then Paul answered and said, What mean ye to weep? And to break mine heart. For I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning I want to preach on this thought. What broke the preacher's heart. What broke the preacher's heart. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for making things so crystal clear to your servant. In these days of turmoil, in these days of trying, in these days of temptation and tribulation, God, I pray that you help your people to understand that we have victory, that you're still in control, that you've given us your word, you've given us your uh, presence, you've given us your spirit to carry us through in these days. God, and I pray and I hope that you remind me and remind your church that if you were done with us, we wouldn't be here. God, I pray that we <coughs> come unto the banner of unity and we come and one accord to your word this morning. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit work in the hearts of each and every one that's represented here in this room. God, help them with whatever they're dealing with. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Also, keep your finger there in Matthew 16. We're going to go there in a little while. So, as we dive into Acts 21 here, we find that uh, through travels and through times and through teachings of Paul that it comes to the point where uh, things are confirmed a little bit that he's going to Jerusalem, that they're not going to change his mind. And when confronted with this, Paul gave him that statement that said, Church, Paul looked at those believers, Paul looked at those people in his company that had been following him, and he said, You're breaking my heart. Church, you're breaking my heart. What mean ye to weep and to break mine heart? And they didn't, what, what was it? Well, well, we know they didn't want him to go to Jerusalem. They didn't want him to let them go. They didn't want Paul to separate from them. They feared for what might happen to Paul. They loved Paul. They cared about Paul. They had been traveling with Paul, watching Paul. And by first of all, we see weary travelers here. Verses 1 through 9 outline a, a, a traveling from Ephesus to Jerusalem and in modern day with roads and with sidewalks, I researched and I found out that it would take you approximately 11 to 12 days to walk from Ephesus to Jerusalem. This wasn't just over the pond, but we know Paul back in these days, they didn't walk. Most of that, most of that, most of that coastline uh, was not developed yet. There were no roads in between cities. They traveled by way of boat. They traveled by way of a ship. And if you've ever seen a map and you've ever looked at the Mediterranean Sea and then they've got those lesser seas at the top, the Aegean Sea over here and uh, the Sea of Galilee down here, but you have that Mediterranean Sea. You have that big blue football looking thing on your map, all right? For those of us who read maps like me, all right? Big blue football. That's the Mediterranean Mediterranean Sea, all right? Picture that in your head. You had Ephesus near here at the top right corner, and Jerusalem was down here at the bottom right corner. Now, we know that many of the boats then, they, they weren't equipped to go straight across those deep waters, to go straight across those deep seas. So what they would do is they'd sail out and they'd just hop around the coastline. They'd just work their way from harbor to harbor, from city to sea, and they'd work, away, work their way around the coastline. And we see Luke outlines their travels here, where they left from, where they sailed into, and how long they stayed here, and how long they stayed here. And at this point, when uh, this happens, and Paul says, you're breaking my heart, they had been traveling roughly 14 uh, to excuse me, 14 to 16 days. And you could imagine the 
tiredness and the, and the, uh, the, the wore outness of these people. How many of you have ever traveled something like that? And, you, and traveling takes it out of you. Even now in modern times when we can sit on a plane in four hours and be anywhere in our hemisphere where we can hop on a plane and, and fly anywhere, even that where we're sitting in a nice comfortable chair on an airplane and we can, we can fly here and fly there. Even that takes it out of, us, uh, out of us. So you can imagine these people that had been following Paul and their journeys didn't start when they left Ephesus. They've been on a mission trip uh, for months at this time. They've been traveling from city to city. They've been getting kicked out of this one, embraced in this one, kicked out of this one, embraced in this one. And these would have been tired, wore out people. And the only thing that was keeping them going was their preacher. The only thing encouraging them, the only thing leading them was their preacher. And when they found out that this man was going away, they looked at their travels and they looked at all and they couldn't possibly fathom being done with this trip being done. They couldn't possibly fathom Paul telling them, hey, it's time for me to go to Jerusalem. They were weary travelers. But then we see a woesome truth. Look at verse number 10. And as we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. And when he was coming to us, he took Paul's girdle and bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. No doubt that as they were traveling, as they were getting on this boat and going on, they were hoping and they were praying that Paul would see something. Paul would see a village that needed the gospel. Paul would see a town that he needed to go to, that they were hoping and they were praying that Paul would change his mind, that Paul, surely he can't be serious about going to Jerusalem. Surely he can't be serious about going to this place where we know he'll be arrested. We know he'll be turned over to the Romans. We know he'll be falsely accused. Surely, hopefully, that... He'll see something or he'll change his mind. How many of us do that when we're following somebody, when we're uh, helping alongside somebody and we respect somebody, even though we say they have their back, we're hoping all along the way. I sure do hope he changes his mind. I sure do hope we don't have to go through with this. This is going to hurt. This is going to be dangerous. I don't know what I'm going to do without him. and, And they were in that spot. And then we have this prophet come and confirm that which Paul had said. And he said, thus saith the Lord that when... He bound his hands and his feet and he looked at those disciples and he said, so shall the Jews do to the man that owns this girdle, that owns this piece of clothing. And at that point, all the disciples, Luke himself writing this, would have known this is it. God sent us a message to confirm Paul's not changing his mind, that this is not under Paul's control, that God's got a plan for this and there's nothing we can do to change it. This would have broke their hearts. They would have become to the place. I want you to understand exactly what they're feeling here. They've been traveling with this man. They've been watching this man. They've been under going ministry with this man. That brings you to the next part. Worried teammates. Verse number 12. And when they heard these things, both we, that's Luke and uh, the disciples that have been with him, and they of that place, the people of that city, besought him not to go up to Jerusalem. Upon getting this confirmation through this prophet, once they realize that there's nothing they can do, that Paul's not changing his mind, that God's not changing his mind, they become worried. They became woesome. They became to the point where they were besotting Paul. They were begging Paul not to go to Jerusalem. And they were literally on their knees and they were literally crying out to this preacher, crying out to this man of God, please don't go to Jerusalem. They'll kill you. They'll arrest you. And what they were doing was breaking Paul's heart. But it wasn't necessarily for the reasons we think. And it wasn't necessarily for the reasons they thought. We would also see uh, they were simply just withstanding time. Now go back to Matthew chapter number 16. And let your eyes fall in verse number 21. This whole situation sounds oddly familiar, doesn't it? 
What's going on right here in the book of Acts with Paul and his company, with Paul and these disciples that had been following him? It sounds all, all the, the more familiar when you read it in light of Matthew 16 and let your eyes fall on 21. The Bible says in the book of Matthew, from that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples that he must go unto where? Jerusalem. And suffer many things of the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him. Peter began to rebuke the son of the living God and began to rebuke him saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned, Jesus turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Now we see what's happening to Paul. Paul is literally standing in the shoes of Christ. Paul is literally standing in the words and the ministry and the mission of the one who came before him, of the one who started it all. Paul is now being faced with the same thing Jesus faced. These men, these disciples, they're missing something huge. They're missing something beyond anything we can fa They are missing something that God intends us for us to get. Jesus was so angry. He looked at Peter and he said, get behind me, Satan. You're not looking looking for the things of God. You're looking for the things of men. You just want to be my pal. You just want to be my friend. I've got bigger things to accomplish. There's something that's bigger than you, Peter. And there's something that's my, my size. In Jesus' words, it's all about Him. There's something that I've got to do. There's something that I've got to accomplish that you're missing and you're not seeing. Now Paul finds himself standing in those same shoes. Because Paul's race had come to an end. And here they are, the disciples. Once again, you can't go to Jerusalem. You can't go to Jerusalem. They'll kill you. Be it far from thee, Paul. There's no way you can do this. You can't. And he says, you're breaking my heart. Because Paul knew at this point he was experiencing exact, exactly what Jesus experienced. He was experiencing the disbelief of those disciples. He was experiencing those disciples focusing on things that were of men and not of God. That's what Jesus said. That's where Paul's standing. So let's look to the verses beyond this and see what his heart was broken over. What broke the preacher's heart? Number one, the preacher's heart was broken because they worshipped their own achievements. Look at verse number 13. Then Paul answered and said, What mean ye to weep and to break my heart? For I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem. Look at this. For the name of the Lord Jesus. What Paul was saying here is that you people are breaking my heart because you have become complacent. You have got to travel the world with me. You have got to go on mission trips with me. You have got to see miracles happen. You have got to watch the Holy Ghost move into services and save Gentiles and save Jews and save sinners. And you have gotten to the point where you have become complacent. You're simply just dependent on me. You're simply just dependent and assuming that I'm going to be with you forever. This is what Jesus told His disciples in His last days. You're not understanding this. I have to go away and I'm going to send a comforter to be with you. you 
can't just depend on Jesus the man to, to live forever and, and accomplish the things you need to accomplish. Paul was saying you can't just uh, be idle and be, and be satisfied with where you are. No doubt Paul's looking at Luke and he's looking at these and Timothy and he's looking at these disciples that are following him and he's looking at them and said, you've got complacent. God wants to do things with you, Luke. God wants to do things with you, Timothy. And here you're just worried about what you're going to do when I go to Jerusalem. You're missing it, people. You're missing it. You have become complacent and they were not just complacent. They were corrective. They're besotting him not to go. They are begging him not to follow the will of God. And they thought that they got to tell Paul what God's will was for his life. Don't we do that? When we have a leader, we have somebody that we're following. Our love for them sometimes can grow into control over them, can it? Our love for that leader, our love for that spiritual guidance, our love for that person in our lives that we trust to guide us, we trust to pastor us, we trust to lead us, we trust that daddy, or we trust that husband, or we trust that mama. Sometimes our love for them grows to the point where we start to control it. We start to think that it's up to us to make decisions for them because we are the only ones that have their best interest in mind. That's what's happening here. The disciples are looking at Paul and saying, Paul, you don't know your own good. You're not, you're not thinking straight. We know better. We know better, Paul. And we beg you not to go to Jerusalem when Peter stared Jesus, the Son of God, in his eyeballs. He said, be it far from thee, Lord. There's no way you can do this. Jesus, you're wrong. That's what they're looking at Paul and saying. Paul, let us correct you on this. You don't have no business going to Jerusalem. You're our preacher. You don't have no business doing this. Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. They were complacent, they were corrective, and they were truly concerned. They didn't know what they would do without their leader. They had become so dependent. They didn't know. They had become so complacent, so corrective, that in their minds, they could not see a Christian future for them without Paul. This is called man worship. I don't know what I'm going to do if Paul's gone. I'm go not going, I don't know what I'm going to do if my preacher leaves. I don't know what I'm going to do if I don't have this person. I don't know what I'm going to do if I have this person. They didn't remember what their Bible said. In Proverbs chapter number, six and verse, or chapter number 6 and verse number 6 where the Bible says, Go to the ant, thou sluggard. Go to the ant. What's the Bible say there? I'm paraphrasing. Which having no guide, no overseer or ruler provideth her meat in the summer. I preached this to the teenagers one night, and I worded it like this. Have you ever really watched ants work? Have you ever really just taken the time? It's a fascinating. And just sit back in, in your chair and pray that Bradley's not around because he'll come crush every one of them little things. All right? It's his favorite thing to do. You watch, and you watch these ants march in single file. And here's what you don't so What you do see is a team. What you do see is teamwork. What you do see is each individual ant that has a job and that accomplishes that job and that is prepared for that job and they're not lazy and they're not backing up and they're all working together. But here's what you don't see. What was outlined in Proverbs 6 verse 7. There's no master. There's no ruler. And how I worded it to the teenagers, you don't see an ant, every other ant, that's wearing a different color polo and has a different color name tag and that's the manager ant. That's the team leader ant. You don't have an ant in that line. Follow me now. Don't lose me. You don't have an ant in that line that says, I'm the leader. 
I'm in charge. Everybody, we're going to go this way. And tomorrow, we're going to go that way. No, those ants, no. Those ants have an instinct. Those ants have a calling on each and every one of their little bitty ant lives that they know what they're supposed to be doing. They know what the will of God for their life is. And they don't need somebody in a fancy suit. They don't need somebody in a polo. They don't need somebody with a different color name tag that says manager ant to tell them how to live and to tell them how to act. Each and every one of those ants reports back to their queen. And each and every one of you and me reports back to our king and that no matter what and when we're walking through this thing called life and when we're serving our Lord Jesus Christ yes we love having a pastor yes we love having a leader yes we love having a teacher but we have direct access into the throne room of the king of kings and the lord of lords and the master of all salvation and the prince of peace and the great physician and how many of us we short-sighted by looking for a guy in a tie and looking for a guy in a polo and looking for somebody to manage us. Paul's saying, you're breaking my heart. Are you kidding me? After all I've preached, after all I've showed you, you're not willing to let go of me. They broke the preacher's heart because they worshipped their own achievements. Their own achievements. And they broke the preacher's heart, number two, because they wanted their own agendas. They wanted their own agendas. Look at verse number 14. And when he would not be persuaded, Luke says, we ceased. We ceased. Saying, the will of the Lord be done. Right there in your King James Bible in chapter number 21 and verse number 14. Luke just admitted that their will was not God's will. That what they wanted was not God, what God wanted. When Paul would not be persuaded, we stopped pushing our agenda and we let God start having his will for Paul's life. They broke Paul's heart because he could see they had plans for Paul. They th had things that they wanted Paul to do. They had things that they wanted Paul to accomplish. They had things that they asked for Paul and that they wanted Paul to do. And this verse makes it clear that their will was not the will of God. And sometimes we get this so complicated and we overcomplicate this so much. And as churches and as Christians, we ask that great big question, what is the will of God for me? What is the will of God for our church? What is the will of God for Christian believers? Let me tell you something, friend. It is a whole lot simpler than you make it out to be. And this verse makes it very, very clear how to find it. And it's not very easy to find it because our pride gets in the way. But watch what happens here again. Let's read it back in a different light and understanding that they're searching for the will of God. And when he would not be persuaded, we ceased. We ceased. How do you find the will of God? Stop. We ceased. We ceased. If you didn't hear it, we ceased. Step one. Stop fighting it. Stop walking in the opposite direction. Stop waking up in the morning and thinking, I, I want to know what the will of God is for my life and then taking off somewhere without even asking Him where to go. I wonder what the will of God is for my life and then going and doing something that's completely contrary to what you know in your heart is right with God. What are you talking about? We ceased. You're never going to understand God's will for your life if you're too busy to hear it. 
You're never going to understand what God's will, what God's plan, what God's purpose is for your little life and your little life and your thing that you're called to do and your thing that you're called to do. It's going to be different from the person sitting next to you. It's going to be different from the one sitting on the other side of the church. It's going to be different from the one wearing a tie. It's going to be different from the one not wearing a tie. God's not looking at that. God's looking at each and every individual heart and he's got a plan and he's got a purpose. But before you'll ever hear it, before you'll ever look for it, you got to stop. Stop fighting it. How to prevent yourself from developing agenda? Every once in a while, just stop. Get alone with him. What, well, what next, preacher? That's not the whole advice, is it? Saying. We ceased. Saying. How, how do I find the will of God for my life? Look at this. Saying. Say it. Start speaking. God's will. Well, if I don't know what it is, how am I supposed to say it? Let me tell you, friend, it's always God's will for you to read your Bible. It's always God's will for you to pray. It's always God's will for you to witness. He said, go ye, go ye all into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Sometimes if you're looking for the will of God in your life, if you're questioning what it is that he has purposed you to do, that he has called you to do, the first thing you need to do is stop. But the next thing you need to do is say the will of God over your life. Proclaim that you're going to read your Bible. Tell the devil that he's not going to distract you and that you're going to pray when you wake up in the morning. Tell the devil that you're a child of the king and you're not a child of his and you're going to obey your heavenly father and that you're going to take the time to obey God. God's will in your life and to follow God's will in your life and that you're not going to be looking at no man. You're not going to be looking at no politician. You're not going to be looking at no preacher. You're not going to be looking at no pope. You're going to follow the king of kings and the Lord of lords and you're going to get down on your knees every single day and you're going to say the will of God for your life. You're going to pray like you've never prayed before. You're going to read your Bible like you've never read it before. You're going to witness like you've never witnessed before. A lot of times we look for this great big sign in the sky. We look for a flashing neon sign on the wall that says this is the will of God. We look look for the big things. We look for the big callings when we can't even get the little things right. I was taught like this. God ain't going to put nothing else on your plate till you can finish what's already there. How many of you remember had a mom and daddy like that? You're sitting at that dinner table and you wanted another piece of fried chicken. But you still had green beans sitting on that plate. So mom and daddy, can I have some more chicken? Finish what's on your plate, son. Then you can go and green beans are hard to swallow sometimes, ain't they? Say amen. That broccoli, that asparagus, and Brussels sprouts. Need I say more? But sometimes God, he wants to give you big things in your life. But you ain't eating the green beans. You ain't praying. You ain't reading your Bible. And if you can't clean your plate now with the little old green beans are on it, you're not going to be able to handle your plate when it runneth over. You're not going to be able to handle your plate when he scoops another helping and scoops another helping and scoops another helping and cause you to do this and cause you to do that and let you witness to this person and let you witness to that person and let you witness. You're going to get into that trench and you're going to want to eat and you're going to want to take the time to look at what God's put on your plate and to do the things he's called you to do. But when you go to do it because you didn't eat your veggies, because you didn't eat your green beans, because you didn't pray, because you didn't read your Bible, you're going to be speechless. You're not going to be prepared. To do what God... So he's not going to put nothing on your plate unless you finish what's already on it. Paul said, you're breaking my heart. You're breaking my heart. Because you could do the same thing I'm doing. But you've just been content to put it on my plate. Pass it off on the preacher. And now that the preacher's gone, you don't know what to do with your plate. 
finding the will of God. Whew. Stop. Say it. Look what happens next in verse number 14. Saying, the will of the Lord be done. Now let's get back into context here and really understand what that means. They're letting Paul go to Jerusalem. I don't know how to find the will of God for my life. Stop. Say it. Let go. Let go. Lord, here it is. Here's my life. Take it. Okay. No, I'm giving it to you, Lord. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to let it go. I'm not going to give you everything. I'm not going to surrender total control. Lord. Okay, okay, okay. Here. You take that. I'm holding on to this. They couldn't, they couldn't keep part of Paul back, could they? When they stopped and they acknowledged their will was not God's will, that their agenda was not God's agenda, they had to totally let go, didn't they? They couldn't just snag him by the leg and keep part of him back. Mm -mm. You'll break the preacher's heart. You'll break the big preacher's heart when you stop and you say something, you commit to something, and you don't let go. There's a song that says, I can't even walk without you holding my hand. You know what that is? That's letting go. That's letting go. I know there's great men of God in this church that used to lead fifties, dozens, hundreds, and now they can't even walk without holding his hand because they're at the stage of their race that Paul was at. They're at the stage of their race where God's showing the people around them, look, your time on this earth is short. Your time to use what I've given you. Your time to invest what I've given you. Your time to proceed on your calling, to find your purpose, to do what I've called you to do, to be a witness, to be a prayer warrior, to be somebody that's going to be a light in this world and salt in this world. You've only got a limited time. So you better start holding my hand now so you won't have to go looking for it when you have no other choice but to find it. Let go. And let God. Let go and let God. They had to let Paul go. They broke the preacher's heart because they worshiped their own achievements and they wanted their own agendas and they walked in their own associations. Look at verse number 17. Paul and Luke is writing here. And when we were come to Jerusalem, look at this. The brethren received us gladly. You see, the preacher's heart was broken because if you look back in verse number eight, the Bible says, and the next day, we that were of Paul's company departed. Paul's company. These were the men and the women in the flock that were not willing to turn loose of them. These were the men and the women in the flock because it says they had wives and children with them too. These were the flock, the children of God, the, lamb, the, the, the sheep, the, the flock of God that, that had Paul, that had their grip on Paul, that, that weren't willing to let them go. They had to develop, they had developed a my Paul mentality. A my Paul mentality. And Bradley, he's probably got his blanket back there. You try to take that blanket, mm-mm. He calls it his fluffer. Don't know where that came from. You reach for that blanket, that's my fluffer. You ain't taking it. You ain't taking it. Paul's company had got the my Paul 
mentality. When Paul said, I got to go to Jerusalem, I got to go, I got to be, per- I got to be arrested, I got to die for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. They said, no, that's my Paul, that's mine. And Christians, Baptists, Anchor of Hope Church members, sometimes we get a my Jesus mentality. He is your Jesus, but he's the whole world's Jesus. He is your Jesus. He would have died if you were the only one he ever would die for. He's yours. He's your loving Savior. But the Bible says, for God so loved the world. He's my, no, he is my Jesus, but he's their Jesus too. He's that crowd that you're looking at and shaking your little pharisaical nose. He's their Jesus. He wants to save them too. We forget that because we get under the Paul's company umbrella. We get under the my Paul umbrella, my Jesus. He is your Jesus, but he's their Jesus too. This convicted me. I looked, now it's, it's, at work I wear a ball cap to catch the sweat and I now we have to wear a mask. So I just have this little lens I look through. And some of you know I'm telling the truth. We think we're like looking through a telescope like nobody can see us. All right. And you're looking at people and you're going. Shame on that one. Shame on that. We begin to do what Brother Dan was talking about on Wednesday night. We begin to pass judgment. We begin to judge this and judge that. We're being so divided by the devil right now. He's coming to our country. He's attacked. And the ones that are serving God, he's attacking their families. The ones that are serving God, he ain't attacking that deacon. He ain't attacking that preacher. Nothing like he's attacking their wife. He ain't attacking that man of God. Nothing like he's attacking his wife and his babies. He ain't attacking that deacon. Nothing like he's attacking them kids. You want to know what will make a man of God quit? You know what will make a deacon quit? Is when they look at their precious family. And they look at what they're going through. And they look at the anxiety. And they look at the depression. And they say, is this really worth it? Can I clear me off a spot and say, yes, it is. It is worth it to serve the Lord. The devil may trick you and to make you thinking that you're just of Paul's company, that you're just going to say, my Jesus, and that nobody else is worth it. No other souls are worth it. The Democrats aren't worth it. The Republicans aren't worth it. The liberals aren't worth it. The whites aren't worth it. The blacks aren't worth it. The devil will put that in your ear and to make you think that there's no hope for this world and that you should just hog the blessings of God because every time you try to reach out, your family gets attacked. It's worth it. It's worth it. He's there, Jesus, too. He's there, Jesus, too. He loves them, too. That was Paul's company. I look at verse number 17. And we were come to Jerusalem, the brethren. These are Paul's brethren. These were the brethren in Jerusalem that needed Paul. These were the ones that were suffering the harshest persecution. There was nowhere harder to be a Christian in these days than Jerusalem. There was nowhere harder to be a Christian than Jerusalem. And in 2020, there's nowhere harder to be a Christian than in Jerusalem. Do you know that's never changed? Do you know that for 2020 years, the persecutions never once let up? They've never once 
had a president to, to give them grace. They've never once had a leader to say the Christians are allowed to be here. They've never once had a, somebody to take the pressure off and to let their churches grow and to let their Christians witness and to let their Christians grow in that, in that area and that Middle East. For 2,020 years, they have been under the pressure of satanic oppression and they have been under the pressure of other religions and other leaders and under powers. And these were the brethren that were at Jerusalem that Paul needed to go be a blessing to. And how selfish it was that those believers that had him in Ephesus saying, no, you can't go when there were believers down in Jerusalem that needed Paul's encouragement, that needed Paul's exhortation, that there was a mission for that man that God to do in his last days. And it was to lift up. It was to write letters. It was to guide. It was to encourage those believers that even though he was about to go away, that Jesus would never go away. And maybe 2020 years later, there's descendants there still in the Middle East that remember a man named Paul. And they remember the stories where they came to their church and they're still holding strong and they're still holding fast because a man of God was simply obedient and he didn't listen to man's agenda. He was worried about God's agenda. He wasn't trying to please man. He was worried about pleasing God. He wasn't trying to preach the right things to make people smile and laugh and say amen. He was worried about preaching to the people who needed it most. Paul's brethren. Paul's brethren were the ones who needed Paul. Paul's company were the ones that had him and wouldn't let him go. Paul's brethren were the ones that needed him there in Jerusalem, which was the toughest place to be. And lastly, look at verse number 18. In the day following, Paul went in with us unto James, and all the elders were present. You had Paul's company who wouldn't let him go. You had Paul's brethren who Paul needed to encourage. But then you have Paul's elders here that needed to encourage Paul. Don't miss this. In Paul's last days on earth, he needed encouragement. He needed an elder. He needed somebody that was a James or a John or a Peter or those there gathered at Jerusalem to say, Paul, I know you know what's coming, but I just want you to know you're not alone. I'm right there with you. I'm praying for you, Paul. They broke Paul's heart because he knew there were brethren that needed him, but he knew he needed encouragement. That man of God knew he needed to go see James and John and Peter and to pray with them and to kneel with them. And they were so caught up in their own achievements and their own agendas, they did not see the clear plan of God for Paul to be used there in Jerusalem. And it broke his heart. wonder how many men of God, how many missionaries, how many evangelists, how many deacons quit because they are so feasted upon by their companies by the ones that hog them and they never get to be encouraged. They never get to be filled. They never get to make. So those of you in this room that are a James or a John or a Peter and you're an elder and you've seen some things and you've been through some things and you've watched God, never underestimate the importance of just praying with a young man. Never underestimate the importance of just telling a young man it's going to be all right. Never underestimate the importance of young man. I, I've been there before. I've been there before. But what broke the preacher's heart? What broke the preacher's heart? Jesus said it best. Ye seek after the things of men and not the things of God. And we'll see that same answer down in verse number 20. Why was the preacher's heart broken as Miss Joy's coming? Miss Teresa's coming. Why was the preacher so heartbroken? Here he's talking to the elders about all the things God had done. In verse number 20, 
And when they, the elders, had heard it, they glorified the Lord and said unto him, Thou seest, brother, how many thousands of Jews which are that believe, and they are all zealous of the law. You'd be tempted to miss it. Look back again at verse number 20 in the first part. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord. Paul's heart was broken. Paul's heart was broken. Because when they were begging him not to go, when they were looking at their own achievements, their own agendas, and their own associations, they were robbing the God of this universe of his glory. They were robbing the God of all creation of his glory, of his worship, of his attention. And if you and I don't start putting off the achievements, putting off the agendas, putting off the associations, and putting off the ideology that this thing is about preachers, and this thing is about men, and this thing is about us, and that this thing is about her, or this thing is about him, we will continually break the big preacher's heart when we won't surrender to the will of God, when we won't boast of the things that he does for us, and we only boast of the things that we do for ourselves. If you're not hearing me clear this morning, you and I could be in danger. I have been in danger of robbing God of His glory when I even seek to push my will and push my achievements and push my agendas and push my associations on the things that I know He's called me to do. And on the things that I know He's called all of us to do.